Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What do I do? and to see that just the little things that you've given us to bless us, whether that's a sunrise, whether that's really tasty food or just a nice time in fellowship with friends, we are thankful for gifts that you've given us and that we can enjoy them in you. And Lord, we come here today and uh, we prepare to have communion together as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We do not have this special meal as perfect people. We do not have it as people who live in a perfect world. And we do not come with unburdened hearts. Lord, you invite us to this table knowing full well who we are. We who are imperfect in a world that isn't perfect either. But you love us anyway and have sacrificed yourself for us so our relationship can be healed. The special meal is not just to remember an event, but it is in remembrance of how the God of all creation came to earth as a human being to reach us and show us who he is. And you showed us a better life that's with you, one that's not on our own, that's just left to our own sinful desires. Lord, you can mend our hearts. You can give us true joy and peace, and you care about our needs and our struggles. You forgive us for our sinfulness, and you wipe us clean. And we have new life in you, But none of this would be possible without the breaking of your body and the shedding of your blood. This is what we remember and what we celebrate as we take part in this meal. And we are undeserving of such grace. You desire to have this relationship with us. And you also use us to spread the gospel of your grace around the world so others can be in relationship with you. So we as your people must make it a priority to pray for those who do not know you and to take some part in forwarding this mission. So in lieu of this, we want to pray for the Muslims that are around the world, and especially this month, as they participate in their holiday Ramadan. And as they seek Allah through fasting and prayer, we ask that you will break through and reveal yourself to be the true God. I pray that Christ will reach out to them through dreams, through visions, and your missionaries. So they will truly know you and seek to know you more. As families gather to celebrate Ramadan, I pray for revival that will spark through families and that whole families will come to know and love you and boldly follow you. We know and, and ask that you redeem this holiday for your own name, Lord. I pray that you will soften our own hearts and convict us to intentionally seek and, and grow close to you. I pray that we will truly thirst for you and your word and that you will transform us and convict us of our sinfulness. Show us how to be a light to this broken world where war and destruction are rampant. And Lord, I pray that we as Grace Community Church will not isolate ourselves, but will be actively loving others and showing them who you are. So please show us how to meet the needs of others, whether it's the physical needs, emotional, or spiritual needs. Use us and illuminate us where you are calling us to serve. 
And I ask that every day we will see you, Jesus, and how you are working in our lives. So we ask that you give us this joy and satisfaction in you. And I pray that idols and distractions will be dethroned from our hearts. I ask that in addition to this, our connection with you will not just be a religiously fueled part of our lives, but a true worshipful relationship. So please show us how to grow in your love and to grow to love you more. And we ask that you continue to transform us as you have promised through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you will speak through your word today and through the, the sermon and that our hearts will be open to hear what you want to say. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. When Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, was released in the nation of Italy, the review board gave it a G rating. Parents throughout that nation objected because they felt that the movie was far too violent for children to watch. USA Today published a feature article about this, and in that feature article, they, re they recorded an interview with an Italian writer named Riccardo Zucconi. Riccardo Zucconi refused to allow his children to view the film but it wasn't necessarily his child-rearing that led him to that decision. He writes, I want my children to have the idea of the spirituality of Christ and not the debauchery of the cross. The soul of Jesus is important, not his body. The soul of Jesus is important, not his body. This reaction to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is not by any means new. It represents an attempt to downplay, if not avoid, the reality of Jesus' very real and excruciatingly painful death on the cross for you and me. Such attempts to downplay the cross of Jesus Christ actually date back to the very first Good Friday and the years that followed that. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 118, says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. He continues in verse 23, So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say, this is nonsense. You know, that's continuing today. The reality is in the contemporary culture in which we live, there are a lot of people who are offended by the preaching of the cross, offended by the very thought of the cross. The cross offends our modern-day sensibilities, and there are many others who simply view it as making no sense whatsoever. It is for them hard to understand why anyone would die, and especially on a cross willingly, and then hard even to accept the truths that are preached about that cross. I encountered that kind of, a, of an attitude a number of years ago when I was preaching at a camp meeting here in South Central Pennsylvania. Because I keep records of how many times I use illustrations, I, I noted that I told this one seven years ago. And it's a true story of an experience that I had after preaching a sermon on the cross of Jesus Christ one hot July night. And, and a number of people came up to me afterwards and they said very simply and very pointedly, you know that you're absolutely wrong in everything you preach tonight. And I said, no, I wasn't aware of that. I believe that I'm actually right because it's based on scripture. And then they began to tell me that they believe that the cross was a divine plan gone wrong. That Jesus never intended to die for anyone's sins. That he was forced to the cross. His life was taken from him. 
they began to share with me that this is a theology called nonviolent atonement, that a father who loves peace would never send his child, his son, to a violent death on the cross. I looked it up later on and indeed found out that it is a theological position that's held by an increasing number of people in our culture today that have difficulty accepting what they view as the offense and the nonsense of the cross of Jesus Christ. But the truth is that Jesus' life was not taken from him, that he gave his life freely on the cross, and that indeed he did die as part of God's plan. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Now notice what he says here. No one, no one takes it from me. Say that with me. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, you know the passage, don't you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And this is love, the apostle John writes, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. First John chapter 3, verse 16. The cross is not a divine plan gone bad. Jesus did not have his life taken from him. The truth of the Bible is that Jesus Christ gave his life for us and he gave his life so that we might be forgiven of our sins. The word of God teaches that Jesus Christ has freed us from our sins by his blood. By his blood. That phrase is found woven throughout the New Testament. The Gospels, as well as the letters of the New Testament. It is the way that God describes for us the death of his son, Jesus Christ. It is a description for us of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It is by his blood that we are saved. Now listen, I want to talk to you just a little bit about the blood of Jesus today because it's so important that we understand this truth, especially as we come forward to remember his broken body and shed blood. The Bible teaches, first of all, that his blood is precious blood. It is precious blood. Precious because it is the only thing that can buy us freedom from sin and guilt and shame. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. No, the word of God says it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless and spotless lamb of God. Gold and silver rise and fall with the condition of the economy and the condition of the markets, but not the blood of Jesus Christ. There isn't a thing you can pay for the forgiveness of your sin and a new and eternal life. There is no amount of money that will satisfy God, no amount of good works, no amount of religious acts, only the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What makes his blood so precious? It is because of the one who died, who he is. He is the sinless, spotless lamb of God. That phrase recalls 
the Old Testament sacrifices where you would go to the tabernacle of God or the temple of God and you would buy the most spotless lamb that you could afford. But you know what? Those lambs were never completely spotless. They were never completely without blemish, never completely without defect. There is only one lamb that was absolutely perfect in every way, and that lamb has a name, and his name is? And only Jesus Christ. He is the sinless and the spotless lamb of God. He is fully God and fully man, yet never sinned. And so he is the only one who can go to the cross and pay the sacrifice for our sins. And paying this price for us, I want you to understand something. Jesus Christ became our substitute. He took our place on the cross. Let me tell you something I believe with all my heart that I believe is taught in the word of God. Mike Sigmund belongs on that cross. Mike Sigmund should by rights pay for his sin because I am a sinner. I have I have offended a holy God. And therefore, I should pay the punishment for my sin. But here is what the word of God teaches. God so loves me and you that he sent his one and only son to be the substitute for you and for me on the cross. When Jesus hung on that cross, he hung on that cross in the place of Mike Sigmund. He hung on that cross in the place of Sherman and Tina Burkholder. He hung on that cross in the place of every person here today. Jeff and Nicole, he hung on that cross for you. He hung on that cross in your place, Hope. He hung on that cross in your place, Vaughn and Dawn. He hung on that cross in your place, Brian and Aaron. He hung on that cross in your place, Ken. He hung on that cross in your place, Mick and Fern. He hung on that cross for us. He is the substitute for our sins. But in substituting himself for us, he also is the sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price. He gave his life as the sacrifice for our sins. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I was studying this week, and I learned something that somehow bypassed me all these years in preaching this truth, and that is the meaning of the atonement. The word atonement, atoning sacrifice, came into our English language, came into the language of the church through William Tyndall, who, who translated the very first English Bible. And he was wrestling with how to, how to communicate the concept that Jesus was our substitute and he was our sacrifice and he died in our place. And, and so he, he put some words together and came up with the word 
at one men, atonement. Look it up in the dictionary. It's one of the few definitions in the dictionary that actually proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. I opened up my Merriam-Webster dictionary. Yes, I have one. It's actually a book form. It has pages to it. I opened it up, and there it was. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ declared in a dictionary because there is no other way to define it. What does atonement mean? What does it mean that Christ is our atoning sacrifice? Listen, apart from Jesus Christ, we are separated from a holy God because of our sin. But the atonement is that by his substitution and his sacrifice on the cross, he bridged the gap and brought us together as one with our Savior and Lord. At one mint means that through Christ, we can be united with a holy God and we can know him as our true and living personal Lord and Savior. And you ought to say amen to that because that's the truth of his word. His blood is precious, but his blood is also cleansing blood, a cleansing blood. Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember typewriters? <laughs> typewriters, okay? So when Jenny and I were married in 1986, one of the first major purchases we made in the first couple months of our marriage is we had to buy a typewriter to replace her Selectric and my whatever it was. And so we went to a typewriter store. Yes, they existed. <laughs> Actually, last year on our anniversary, we went to Baltimore and I said, let's drive past places of monumental importance to us. So we went to the typewriter store. I wish I would have put the picture up. It's overgrown and ramshackled and there's nothing left of it, like typewriters. So we bought a typewriter that was high-end, $260, because it had a 21-character memory. If you made your mistake in the first 21 characters, you could erase it and nobody would know. It was like big stuff, oh my word. Because you see, before that, you had to buy something called whiteout. How many of you know what whiteout is? It's a little bottle of white paint. And so what you do is you make a mistake, like I did, I keep all my papers that I wrote in college and high school. This is 40 years old. Jenny says, what good is that? I said, well, in case, I don't know, in case something, I'm not sure why. The girls will want it when I die. They will love to read the things that I wrote. The sad part about this is that Pastor Addison reminded me that two-thirds of our pastoral staff were not alive when I wrote this paper. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Addison, wherever you are. Back in the day, when you made a mistake, you whited it out. Now, there are red marks in here. I did not make those. And there are white marks in here, and those are the ones that I made. You know the interesting thing about white out? You paint it on. You blow it like crazy, hoping that it will dry. And then you hope you can type over it and nobody will know. It never worked. Because every human effort to white out is a failed effort. Whether it's from your typewriter or in your life with your sin and your guilt and your shame, you can't clean yourself but there is one who can. Listen to what the Word of God says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now listen. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from everything that is not right and pleasing to God. Too many of us hold on to the souvenirs of our sin. We do. We hold on to them. They're called guilt and shame. Somehow we rationalize in our mind that Jesus can take away our sin, but we're the ones who have to carry around the guilt and shame. You know what a souvenir is? It's something that you put on a shelf, have to dust it every week just so you can remember where you've been. Too many Christians have kept souvenirs of their sin in their lives. Just remind themselves where they've been. And Jesus says, stop it. Stop it. My precious blood was shed on the cross to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's your sin and your guilt and your shame. I want it all. Give it all to me. Paul writes in Galatians 5, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. He doesn't want us to hold on to the souvenirs. So if you're sitting here today and you know that Christ has forgiven your sin, but you're holding on to guilt, you're still feeling shame, confess that to him and give it to him and he will wash it away with his blood. The blood of Christ is precious. The blood of Christ is cleansing. And because it is precious and cleansing, his blood is also necessary. Friends, you cannot pay for your own sins. People have been trying for years to pay for their own sins. They try it with their good works. They try it with their religious acts. Sometimes we even try to negotiate with Jesus on our sins. Many times over the course of years, I've had privilege of leading people to Christ and after they accept Jesus and they experience his forgiveness and a new life, they'll say to me, Pastor Mike, what about all the sins I committed 30, 40 years ago? What should I do about those? And my answer is you shouldn't do a thing about those. Only Jesus can do something about those. He will wash them away. You know how we are. You go out to a friend with a friend for lunch and uh, the server brings the check and you both go to grab for the check. You, you ever been in that situation? You're both intending to pay for it. This is a real good test of who is thoroughly Pennsylvania Dutch because that's the one who lets go first. Like, <laughs> he wants to pay, I'll let him pay it. <laughs> Save some money that way, but anyway. But you know what happens? You let go of it, they pay, and then you say this, at least let me leave the tip. Sometimes we're that way with Jesus and our sin. We accept that he paid for our sin, but we still think we have to do something, leave a tip, participate in some way. And he says, I paid it all. I paid it all. His blood is necessary because there's only one who pays it all. Precious cleansing, necessary. It is why then we finally need to remember his blood. Remember his blood. Most of us like to forget the injuries that we've experienced in life. 
especially those involving blood. Now, when we were raising girls, the girls really never liked blood too much. But now that we have grandsons, what in the world is wrong? Look at the blood. This is really cool, Papa. Look at the blood. It's coming down here. I mean, honest to goodness. What in the world is that? God would have us remember Jesus' injuries and even more his death. Why is that? Because you have been bought with a price and you are not your own. I have been bought with a price and I'm not my own. And we would do well to remember that on a regular basis. And in remembering who bought us, give him thanks for what he has done for us. To ensure that we do remember Jesus instituted the sacrament that we call the Lord's Supper or communion. In Mark chapter 14, beginning to read at verse 22, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. In the front of our church at Conestoga, when I was growing up as a boy, there's a table like we have here, but on the front of the table is emblazoned in remembrance of me. As a little boy growing up, I wasn't, and, and when I got to the point where I could understand words, I didn't understand what that meant until someone explained to me that this isn't in memory of someone in our church, but it's actually a memory of the Lord of our church. It's in memory of Jesus. And it's not the table, it's what is served from that table. The bread and the cup that are given in memory so we would remember who we are. Bought with a price. Precious. Cleansed thoroughly the only one his name is Jesus do you know how powerful this blood is I encountered a story in my studies over the past two weeks that somehow I missed all these years in my passion and interest for World War II history and I read a lot of different books and I never came across this story I checked it with five different sources Indeed, indeed, it is completely true. When the Nazi hierarchy were arrested and placed in prison in Nuremberg, Germany, awaiting trial, the United States Army assigned to them a chaplain to minister to them the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The chaplain's name was Henry Garrick. He was a Lutheran pastor from Missouri and he was given charge over the most heinous criminals of the Nazi regime. And so he decided he would simply hold weekly chapel services and preach the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected, and coming again. In the course of those chapel services, eight 
of those men came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. One of them who scorned Christianity and argued objections intellectually came one day to a place where he was broken by his sin, convicted by the Holy Spirit of God, and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. His name was Joachim von Ribbentrop. He was under Adolf Hitler, Germany's foreign minister, who along with Hitler deceived the world into thinking that Germany had righteous causes and plunged the world into a war. And he came to know Jesus in a powerful and what Henry Garrick called a thorough converted way. When he was found guilty, along with 10 others, they were sentenced to the gallows and he was taken on the day of his hanging to the scaffold and he was asked for his final words. And this is what he said. I place all my confidence in the lamb who made atonement for my sins. May God have mercy on my soul. And then he turned to his chaplain and he said, and I will see you someday again. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 says this, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right in to the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Grace Community Church, here and online, since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right in to his presence and give thanks that he has cleansed us with his precious blood, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you and praise you today, for we know that there is no other but you who could possibly pay the penalty and the price for our sin that you gave your life on the cross for our lives. We celebrate and give thanks today. That you understood our human weakness and our propensity to forget. We are grateful that you established this supper such that we would remember your broken body and your shed blood. And so as we gather here today with you at the head of the table, Jesus, we come to this place of what some would call meager fare for the richest of all suppers. To take bread and to take cup and to remember that we are not our own, we've been bought with a price, precious and steep as that price was. You delight in cleansing us from all sin, guilt and shame and powerfully work in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. And thank you that on the night that you were betrayed, you lifted up the bread and said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. You lifted up the cup 
and you offered to your disciples to drink it as the new covenant in your blood, and so to remember you. As we commune this day, we do so with gratitude in our hearts that you are a mighty and powerful God. And in your might and your power, you love us more than anyone could possibly love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.